Yeah, they're having way too much fun with that, uh, with the whole puppet uh, sort of thing. Well, um, this morning we're going to continue on with our, uh, our uh, conversation uh, about Advent and about peace this particular uh, Sunday. Um, and so, as you know, it has become our habit to kind of uh, have a memory verse. So we're going to uh, say our memory verse together. Oh, did that work? It did work. No. There we go. Sorry, we had a last-minute change on my clicker, and so I wasn't sure it was going to work, so, but it, it appears to be working. So let's, uh, let's uh, say this together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so uh, you all know already what we're going to talk about is uh, peace, Okay. We're not going to talk about naked people anymore. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so if you're a guest, you've already figured out we're way laid back here. So we're not the formal uptight kinds. Sometimes being serious is our, is our struggle. So peace. We'll get back to the sermon here. Peace. We're going to talk about that. So what do you think about when you think about peace? And don't say naked people. <laughs> Shalom. We're going to talk about that. Calm. Love. Good. Peace. Pardon? Silence. Silence. Yes. That comes from a mother of small children. <laughs> but what? Five children? Quiet. Quiet children. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> and there's a difference between men and women. I heard five children and she was saying quiet children. I, you know, so... There's all kinds of different meanings to the, to the word peace. I think the one I, I kind of hear there is uh, I had uh, my, my daughter uh, is in the, the small children stage, right? And uh, so her definition of peace is being in the bathroom without somebody knocking on the door, right? You know, it's like her, her calm spot in all of that. There, there are other things to talk about in that. Um, sometimes we talk about being unencumbered. You know, we can kind of do the peace to do whatever we want. Uh, even in, in war, uh, sometimes we talk about things like detente or, or no war or no conflict, those sorts of things. Uh, and those are all good. Uh, but we're going to talk a little more about how the Bible uses the word peace or shalom uh, in, in this. But I, I do want to, before we get that, I want to um, kind of set this up so you understand the connection. At, there's actually a, a process, uh, a progress, if you will, in, during the Advent season that began with hope. Because everything else begins kind of with hope. We have to have hope to make the move. And so I, I want you to uh, know this. A peace is the fruit of hope. Okay? And what I mean by that is you have to have hope in order to have peace. Because if you don't have hope, there is no peace. There is nothing but conflict and struggle and fear uh, and, and all of those kinds of things. And so uh, it begins with hope. And when we have hope, and you remember that hope was putting our trust in God, right? Hope is, I trust God. And when you can say that from the bottom of your heart, I trust God, not just with your lips, but from the bottom of your heart, then you have peace. Because it's in God's hands. I trust God, therefore I have peace that comes into my life. And so uh, I want you to know that there's this connection of, of peace is the fruit of hope. Let's say this together. Peace is the fruit of hope. All right. So uh, this morning, uh, let's begin by looking at Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7, which is actually the scripture we read this morning uh, in, our, in our passage uh, and is actually our, our memory verse uh, as well. So I'm going to kind of walk through this uh, and then we're going to uh, jump into it. So 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I didn't do that as well as the kids did. They did great with it this morning. On the increase of, of, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We will reign on David, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So let's, uh, let's look at verse 6. Number one, uh, the government will be on his shoulder. So here's the beginning of the, prophet, the promise. Remember, this is prophecy. This is the prophet Isaiah looking down uh, through time to the coming of the Messiah. And he talks about a, a, a Messiah upon. Hmm. He talks about a Messiah upon whom the government rests; that he will become the government. So here's the really good news uh, in all the craziness that is politics today. One day there's a new government coming, and it's from Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that is good news. Whatever side you're on in any of that kind of stuff, the good news is one day the government that we have will be gone, and the government that every nation has will be gone, and Jesus will be Lord. And so the great promise, I don't, I don't want you to miss the promise of this. This is the beginning of the promise of what the, the new kingdom looks like and what it will look like when he, when he comes uh, again. Uh, and so uh, then uh, the next part, so here's what, how I want to say that. We will have many presidents, governors, representatives, and rulers, but there will only ever be one king. Amen? King of kings, Lord of lords. He is there through all of the presidents and kings and dictators and all around the world, all that have come, and they all go because they all have an expiration date. Amen? But Jesus is Lord, and he is king uh, through all of that. So uh, last week I told you that uh, in Hebrew and in that culture in general, um, that names are really, really important, and they were a reflection of your character. So whatever the, your name was was kind of a reflection on who uh, you were. And so uh, part of what we saw in this passage was some names for Messiah. And I kind of want to walk through those because they reflect, again, on what Messiah is like. So the first one uh, was Wonderful Counselor. Uh, and when we think of counselor, we tend to think of a therapist. We tend to, you know, a counselor, someone you go to. That's actually not is what is meant by this. What, what is meant by this is the idea of wise leader. Okay, a leader that has wisdom and knows what they're doing and knows how to make things happen and knows how to get the organization where it needs to go. Any of you had the pleasure of working for someone who didn't know what they were doing? Yeah, everybody raises their hands. That is not fun. That is not fun to follow. And, and he's saying here that, that Christ, the Messiah, is the wise leader that will know how to make things happen, to know what needs to be done. He will guide us personally, and he will guide us as a nation and as a, and as a country and as the kingdom of God. And so just two things really quick. Number one, you can trust God because he is the wise counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the, the wise leader in all of that. And one day, his influence will be over all things. So, wonderful counselor. Say wonderful counselor. Okay, mighty God. Mighty God actually refers to the idea of a divine warrior. It was the idea of, of a powerful warrior that would set things right, uh, the, the champion, and, and specifically the champion of, of what we sometimes call the least, the last, and the lost, the oppressed, the disenfranchised, the, the powerless, the people on the bottom of society, the people that had no power, all of a sudden have great power through this divine warrior who will come and set things right whether evil people like it or not. 
you know? I mean, one of our favorite passages about the coming of Christ is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Because what that says is the bad guys aren't going to be able to stop this. There's a kingdom coming that is irresistible in, in that sense. And then uh, another one, everlasting father. And this is the idea of an unfailing source of protection and love. Now, I know, I know, and I just need to set this right up front. Some of you had horrible fathers that did not reflect Christ. And I just want to say to you, Christ sets the example of what a father is. Amen? And we're all trying to live up to that. So if you had a horrible father, then I know the idea of God as father is a little uncomfortable. Uh, and you can say parent because God doesn't have gender. He's bigger than that. But, but the idea here is a, of a loving parent that cares for you and guards you and, and, and protects you. Uh, one of the ways I saw my father was as a protector. He watched out for me. He bailed me out of all kinds of things uh, over life. And so uh, the idea here is that, that the Messiah is the one, the, the, the reliable father that you can go to that is there for you, okay, that sees you, that understands you, uh, and, that, and that loves you. And then the one we want to talk about, Prince of Peace. Um, Prince of Peace is, is the, uh, the, uh, an important title that has the idea of controlling destinies and, and putting things together and, and prosperity and, and uh, making it all come together in the way that God has intended for it to come. And the word, as you heard earlier, is shalom, uh, which means peace. Okay, you all read that now? What's that say? There you go. See, you're better at Hebrew than you think you are. Uh, so shalom uh, is much more than the absence of conflict. And I know we talk about this uh, every year at this time, but it's so important that you get that because we use the word peace in English so much. And it just, peace in English is just anemic compared to the idea uh, of shalom. Shalom is the idea of wholeness and safety and completeness. Uh, to bring shalom is to make complete or restore to wholeness. Let me say that again, because shalom is a verb. Is to bring, to bring shalom is to make complete or restore to wholeness. So in God's kingdom, in the Messiah's kingdom, there's no duct tape and bailing wire, folks. He does it right from the beginning. He puts it together. He puts your life together. He puts the world together at the end in a way that, that it was intended to be. There's none of this kind of partial sort of stuff. And so, I, I, you know, I don't know how to really get this into our modern world today, but when I think about it, I think, you know, if you break something and you try to fix it, it's never quite the same again, right? But if you break something and you get a new one, then it's the same, right? It's like, okay, that's cool. That, that's what he does. And I think that's where we get a lot of the language in the New Testament about new creation, about a new being, the, the newness of this thing. It's not the old broken thing. It is the new thing that God wants to do in your life and restore you to what he intended from the beginning. So say shalom. Okay, look at the person next to you. Say shalom. Yeah. Still in Jewish culture today, shalom is used as both a greeting and, and a way of saying goodbye. Okay? And, it's a, and it's a blessing as well to bless them with God's peace. So let me give you three functions of uh, shalom uh, in, in the Bible. The first one is the idea of peace with God, right? Everyone needs peace with God, right relationship, wholeness with God. And this is this thing we talk about in the New Testament about having a personal relationship with Christ. It is about bringing that relationship back together, forgiveness of sins and, and, and the new life that Christ has in you. And so we hope for this. In our church, we talk about encounter God. Everyone needs a life-transforming encounter with the living God. Amen? And that, that brings God's peace 
uh, with, with God. And then peace from God. Peace from God is the gift that God gives to you, especially in those things when it seems like the whole world is exploding and you should be panicking. You know that whole idea, this is not the time to panic? When you get to that place where it is the time to panic, that's where you need God's shalom in your life. Okay? And I, and I speak from personal experience. Most of you have been around long enough to know in 2019, I faced a cancer that was supposed to kill me. And I remember sitting specifically in that bed at the darkest, deepest moment of that and saying, Lord, I don't know where to go and what to do with this. And I just, there was this presence of peace that just came over me in that hospital bed and has stuck with me. To this day, my, my spirit, my connection to God is, is stronger than it was ever been because of his shalom that poured into me in that moment where I really, truly thought I was going to die. And that's those moments where I began to say, you know, I trust God. I trust God whether he gives me the answer to cancer or not, whether I get better or whether I'm going home to Jesus. I trust God. Shalom. Shalom. Okay, the peace from God. And then a peace with one another. And this is where sometimes the church, the evangelical church stops. We do these two, but we don't talk about this. But the idea of shalom carries the idea that we are to live in right relationship with our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? Everybody. Exactly right. Everybody is their neighbor. Now, we can't be in relationship with everybody, but I think the story of the Good Samaritan really gets it pretty good. Who is your neighbor? The person God puts in front of you. That's who your neighbor is, right? Even if they're like, you know, a Jew and you're a Samaritan, the the people that God puts in front of you, that's your neighbor with all of this. So we're called to this peace with one another as well. And then verse 7, uh, of the increase of his government, see, we're back to this government, and peace, okay, uh, back to that. So this is a government that, that, that centers in the peace, in the shalom of God. I can't wait for that day, amen? You know, I feel like we should sing the old hymn, when we all get to heaven, when, dun, dun, dun. I don't know how it goes, but, and Kramer will kill me if I keep going. So <laughs> there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, which was the eternal throne. That was the peak of Israel's existence. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Okay, in order to have shalom, there has to be justice and righteousness. Okay, uh, for that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish that. So there's the justice and righteousness that's part of his kingdom. And then the Lord Almighty, uh, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I, I love this in this word. How many of you have used the word zeal in the last week? Yeah, somebody did. Excellent. That's good. Zeal is one of those words that I think of as emotion. You know, it's kind of like excited, get everybody pumped up, that sort of a thing. But actually, in Hebrew, this word refers to the idea of a decisive leader. Knows what they're doing, knows where they're going, and they make the decision, and they move forward. Which, again, is kind of that reference to the idea of evildoers cannot stop the coming of the kingdom of God. Yeah, they can make our lives miserable, all of those sort of things, but they cannot stop him because he is the mighty warrior and he is decisive and he knows what he's doing and where he's going. And it's this wonderful image in here of this, this God who is a warrior God for shalom. <laughs> Hebrew people love to put those kind of, you know, a warrior for peace. How do you? But that's exactly what it is talking about, which then we get in the New Testament where this kingdom that is not a kingdom of this earth, but a kingdom of heaven, Amen. And that's, that's with part of it. So um, here's some kind of some implications from all of this. Um, citizens of Jesus' kingdom are called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. There's a, there's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, right? 
A peacekeeper goes to some place where there already is peace and kind of hangs out, right? And says, okay, you two stop arguing. Uh, peacemakers can actually be, be emotionally kind of destructive because sometimes they suppress the issues that people need to talk about because they just want to keep the peace no matter what. But Jesus didn't tell us to be peacekeepers. He told us to be peacemakers. And while you find peacekeepers in places where there is already peace, you find peacemakers in war zones where there is no peace, where there's brokenness, where there's heartache, where it's dangerous. It's literally what Christ did who came from heaven to indwell, to be incarnated into the world in the war zone that is our world, where evil is on the move and where there's damage and there's hurt and all of that. He came as a peacemaker to make peace in the midst of this. And so we are called to, to bring the peace of Christ to our world, not just to have it in our heart, but to, to bring it in, into our, our world uh, as, as well uh, in, in our lives. In fact, Matthew 5 uh, says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Remember, I told you a couple times already now that names are really, really important in Hebrew writing and in Jesus and all, all of that. The, the, you, this is in the Beatitudes. If you go through the Beatitudes, whatever you do, they got something. This is the only one where they don't get anything except to be recognized for who they are, children of God. And I grappled with this verse for a long time. I really love this verse. It's among my favorite verses. And my daughter finally taught me what this actually means. My daughter, when she was in... Uh, um, in grade school, we, we moved to a, our first church, and she had to give up her school and went to a new place, and, and she experienced bullying and the new girl and all of that. She was in, like, first grade, right, you know? And it is breaking my dad heart to watch her go through that. Uh, but she's, she's strong, and she got through that. By about fourth grade or, or so, she had literally become a part of the cool kids. Now, I don't know what a cool kid is in fourth grade, but she was a part of it. And, and part of that was she was a gymnastics thing. And, and so, you know, the girls would teach each other gymnastics at, at, at recess. Uh, and and they, all the cool kids kind of hung out with, with that part of it. Uh, during that fourth grade, it might have been fifth grade year, uh, a, a new person moved into the house across from us, a, a family there. Um, a family was having a very hard time putting life together, okay? Drug use, all of those sorts of things. This was an urban church. Um, and uh, one of the kids' parents had abandoned them, and so they had a, a, niece, a niece there with you. And so she ended up coming to the school, same age uh, as my daughter, and she looked every part of what she was. She couldn't dress very well. Uh, she wasn't good in school. She um, didn't have very good social skills. All, all of that picture, you all know what that picture looks like. And um, she hadn't been there very long, and, and she became the kid that everybody picked on. And one day on, on recess, Jana looked over with all of her friends doing gymnastics, and that little girl had been surrounded by a group of girls who were literally just picking on her and calling her names and all of that. And my daughter, who had once been there and was now kind of in the cool group, grabbed all of her friends and said, come with me. And she literally inserted herself into the middle of the circle and put her arm around the girl and said, she's with us, and walked out. The girl was only there a couple more years, but she was never teased again. And in that moment, I understood, called the children of God, because I'm telling you, I said, that's my kid right there. Do you see what my daughter did? Do you see that? that, that that's, that's my girl, man. That's my girl. 
And I think that the point of this is that when God sees us being peacemakers, he looks down from heaven, he punches the devil in the ribs and says, do you see that? you see that? That's my boy down here. That's my girl. You see them living out the kingdom in this place? I think that's what it means, that the highest praise you can get is not to inherit the earth. I mean, that's in there. It's like, what are you going to do with that thing? But the highest praise you can have is for the father to say, that's my child. Do you see that one down there? That's what I think this is talking about. That's the, the peace that we bring in, in, in that place. And just the end of the story, for years after that, whenever that girl would come and visit her cousins, she'd come over and knock on her door and say, is Jana there? And they were friends like, till we, till we moved away from that, that place. So... As followers of Jesus, we are called to pursue peace with God and one another. Not much of an amen there. Okay, let's try it again. As followers of Jesus, we are called to pursue peace with God and one another. Amen. Let's read it together. As followers of Jesus, we are called to pursue peace with God and one another. In fact, Scripture says this, Psalms 34, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Okay? And so the idea of pursuing peace, I, I love that. The seek it part is the idea of searching for it till you find it, right? And pursuing it, in the original language, is the idea of chasing it down and wrestling it to the ground until you got it. Man, see that? You see that? I mean, this wasn't a casual, oh, well, let's just pray for peace, you know. Oh, hey, I hope things go good for you, that sort of thing, you know. This was in the midst of the war zone, in the midst of the worlds where you live, where people are damaged and destroyed and wounded by sin. Christ says, my people, my children, are people who will seek peace. And then they'll pursue it until it happens in the world to make it a part of our lives. So pursuing peace with one another is a lot of work. This is the flip side of the coin. I mean, it's really great to say, yeah, let's pursue peace. Yeah, let's do that. You all get excited, run out of here. And the first thing you find out is that pursuing peace is a ton of work in all kinds of ways. It's just hard work sometimes doing it. I mean, we have volunteers that do our, our feeding out here on, on Mondays. It is a ton of work to do that but they are pursuing peace, amen? amen? Providing for people in our community who wouldn't otherwise ha have a meal. It's emotional work dealing with that. If you gotta go back and make it right with someone in order to bring peace to that relationship, shalom to that relationship, that, that, that's a ton of, of work there. It, it, it's hard uh, fixing things and making them right again. That is difficult. It's so much easier to ignore it or walk away, amen? You know, it's just, it's, but yet he calls us to do this. That, that we pursue peace, that we do the work of peacemakers. Look to the person next to you and say, you're a peacemaker. Now, some of you, I know that's already a reality in your life, and some of you, that was a, a, a statement of faith and hope, and for some of you, that was prophecy. But I hope all of us will go out of this place on this second Sunday of Advent determined to be better peacemakers. And then there is a peace that is a gift, God's peace. That, that peace that happened in, in my life when, when I, I was sitting in that room. We had uh, the 8 o'clock service. We had someone in there who had recently lost their husband and just for uh, a year had been struggling with all of that. And this morning, amazing, on the second Sunday of Advent, came and said to me, Pastor, the peace of God has suddenly rested upon me. And it doesn't solve all the stuff, but I just feel this deep, 
profound peace in my life. And I said, yes, that's the peace that comes from God. That's God's peace uh, in, in your life. And I am telling you, if you have not got that, God wants to give that to you. So wants to give that to you. Listen to this, John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay. <laughs> Neither let them be afraid. <laughs> John 14, 27. Let's say this together. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27. But here's the catch. Because God's peace is a gift, the only way to get it is to ask. To ask God for the gift of his peace in your life. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't force it. You can't mug somebody for it. It doesn't work like that. So let me tell you how to get God's peace. Number one, you have to confess that you don't have it. You have to confess that you've fallen short of what God would have for you. Sin, if you will. You have to confess you're a sinner, okay? Say sinner. I know that's kind of an out-of-fashion sort of word, and in part because people used it in awful sorts of ways. But you have to confess that you're in need of this. Number two, you have to repent. You have to go the other direction. Turn around and, and go the other direction. Be determined in your heart to do that. You do not have to be perfect. Because if you were perfect, none of us would make it. But that has to be the determination of your heart. Number three, you have to be reconciled to God, and that's where you ask. Where you say, God, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to clean up this mess that I've made of my life. I want you to forgive my sins, and I will follow you the rest of my life. And at the close of this service, we're going to celebrate communion, and that'd be a really great time to say, Lord, come in forgive me. Come in, make my heart new this day. And he will do that. And if you pray that prayer and you ask God into your life, I would like to hear about it. Number one, you need to tell somebody because the devil likes to trick us that we didn't actually do it. And number two, the Bible says after you become a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to get baptized. And we're working on wearing out the baptism this year. So we'd like you to be a part of that. Okay. So come and let us, let us know. So where can you share God's shalom with our community? If our musicians would come, and we're going to celebrate communion in just a minute. But we've talked about a very Marysville, M-E-R-R-Y, Christmas. And so the question I have for you, where in our community can you bring just a little bit of shalom? You don't have to solve all the problems in the world. You can't solve all the problems in the world. But somewhere in your life this week, you can be a peacemaker. You can bring shalom to a place where there is no peace. And then last, our hard question for all the sermons. What is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? What is he asking you to do? Maybe, maybe nothing. Maybe you're sitting there going, okay, God, we're good. But maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Maybe he's already pointed out something in your life someplace. Maybe he said to you, you need the peace that I can give you. That whole confess, repent, ask. And I would encourage you to do that as we pray. I'm going to ask God's blessing upon the Lord's table. The Lord's table is the reminder that Jesus made that peace possible through the shedding of his own blood, through taking our place for our sins. And he offers that now back to us as the life we can have in him. 
And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship together. Uh, and I'm going to ask you if you could come down here and then go back through, through those so that we can kind of manage the traffic here a little bit. We have intinction where you take one of the loaves and, and you dip it and you eat it. For those of you who want to do that, that's uh, the way we used to do it all the time. We also have the little self-contained units uh, that will be sitting to the side as well. Uh, you can take those if you would prefer that, and then go back to your seat and take communion because we're the, in dipping it, we're going to... Um, we're going to take it right in that moment. So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for peace with Christ. Thankful, Father, that you make possible uh, this relationship with you. But thankful, Father, that you also call us to bring peace to a lost and broken world, Father. And so, Lord, I, I just pray especially for that one that maybe does not have peace that knows they need it, that knows that they need relationship with you. Would you speak to their heart, Father? Would you give them the courage to, to confess that they need you, that, that they need their life cleaned up, Father, that there are things in the past that need to be forgiven? Would you give them the courage to, to resolve, to repent, to go another direction, to reject the, the things that were not pleasing to you? And then, Father, I pray that you give them the courage to ask that you would come in. And I know that the moment they ask, you will flood them with your love, and your grace, and make them whole, complete, a new creation. We ask, Father, now that you would inhabit these elements, your broken body, and shed blood. We're reminded that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread, and when you had given thanks, you broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember where you came from. Remember the sins that have been forgiven. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. After supper, you took the, the, the cup and gave it to them, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember that life eternal is yours. Remember that you can be whole. Remember, Jesus is coming again. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us come to the table of the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, church family. Thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video and tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream or you can join us in person. We'll see you next week. God bless.